This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to the Double Feature Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Chow Suen, and today we've got with us Jonathan Roberts. The other way around this time. Yeah. Hello. So, this week you went to see three releases. A bumper crop this week. And we've got quite the range. We've got Ad Astra, Midsommar, and Rambo Last Blood. So, really three totally different types of movies. Yeah, we have uh, Revenge, Space, and Horror. So, let's maybe hear a bit about the one that you like least, Rambo. Yeah, I've had a few complaints about my online review about this one. Uh, this, uh, can I just point out, first of all, I'm a fan of Sylvester Stallone. When we went to see Creed 2, we both said he deserves Oscars for his performance. He has rejuvenated Rocky with Creed films, and he's turned in two magnificent performances. I really wish he'd applied the Creed thinking of rejuvenating the character to this film. He's a very smart man, I have no doubt... He knows his audience, and this will work, but this does not... How can I put it? it? At the end of this, which is essentially Rambo 5, is the fifth, potentially final, film. I wanted a sixth film, but not in a good way. I want a sixth film because I want this one to be... Uh, amended for... Uh, yeah, just forgotten about, and just do another. Think about it again and do another, because this just does not feel like Rambo. Yeah, from what I saw of the trailer and some of the reviews, it really just looks like a revenge film with basically no plot. Just a lot of violence, a lot of blood, a lot of Oh, it's, it's got a plot. It ha- does have a plot. But the problem is, is the plot, it belongs to another film. The last Rambo film was 2008. Now, since then, 2008 is when the first Taken film, and that was like, oh, old people can be action heroes, thanks to Liam Neeson. Then we've got John Wick doing amazing revenge films. This feels like a leftover of... You know, was it retrieved from Liam Neeson's dustbin? It feels like a poor version of Taken, like one of those Antonio Banderas Netflix knockoffs, you know? It doesn't feel like Rambo. It's the Rambo character parachuted in to a generic action plot. Which was really weird because it wasn't even Rambo's kid. It was his friend's kid, right? Yeah, it's like his housekeeper's granddaughter. Although, the, I mean, she calls him Uncle John, so technically she's his niece, and he classes her as his niece, and sometime later in the film, he says, she's my daughter. It's the girl that basically he, it grounds him. So just to give a bit of background, uh, at the end of the last one, Rambo 4, or John Rambo, as it was called, to in various territories, he decided to go back home. He'd li- finished his life of living in the Southeast Asia as a boatman and exploding enemies with great violence. Uh, He goes back home to Arizona to his dad's ranch. Now, since then, his dad's obviously died, and he's trying to live a a solemn life. Now, the first half hour of this film is very clunky. It's very exposition. uh, It kicks off with him rescuing some people who are stuck in the mountains. Everyone keeps on telling, John, you're such a good man. Who is that guy? That is a burnout Vietnam vet, but he's really good at tracking. And he goes, you're a good man, John. You're a good man. Everyone tells him how good he is now. At the same time, he's still having trouble. Don't forget, Rambo started as a partially... It was an action film, uh, First Blood, back, way, way back. It was an action film that had a strong message about how abysmally Vietnam vets were being treated. Now, the way people talk about Vietnam, veterans in general now, they're kind of like, you know, held on the highest pedestal. Back then, and there were lots of films to say about how poorly vi- veterans were coming back from Vietnam were treated... Um, it had a strong message because he goes into this town looking for his old 
army buddy and is treated nastily by the local cops. Action film, but with a strong message. So, so what was it that you thought was really wrong with the film? Uh, well, aside from it, it's just it doesn't feel like Rambo. It's just a Sylvester Stallone film. An impressive part of it is that it's every, set partially in Mexico. It's actually Bulgaria in Eastern Europe that is doubling for Mexico. Now, that is impressive that they've managed to do that. But I can understand why, because if you can imagine the the phone call with the Mexican authorities, say, hi, we'd like to film uh, in your country. Sure, what's it about? Oh, well, you know, it's uh, there'll be no nice parts of Mexico. We'll just focus on the slums and the drug lords. Uh, and there'll only be two people, two Mexican characters who are actually good, per se, or not evil, shall we say. Uh, the rest, uh, it's, well, as I said in the review, it's like a Trumpian fever dream of gangs, traffickers, dealers, rapists, murderers, cops who then turn out to be on the take uh, and uh, molesting young women. Yeah, it's it's not a pretty picture. So, understandably, it's not filmed in Mexico. But essentially the plot is his niece, Gabrielle. She has got such a great life ahead of her. She's off to college. She's great at taming horses, which is what he does on the ranch. You know, it's wonderful. Ah, yeah, but then she goes to Mexico looking for a deadbeat dad. Now, the friend that she's got in Mexico, uh, a deadbeat dad is no good. Friend who she's got in Mexico then sells her off to a a cartel, human trafficking cartel, and she's taken in as a prostitute. Uh, by this this cartel. I mean, she was so young, so wholesome. Anyway, this sets him off. You know, John Rambo has been keeping a lid on his murder skills, and this just he tears a lid off, and it gets pretty gory. Now, if you saw the fourth one, people were exploding in that one. That was a bloodbath of gore. This one doesn't seem as much of a bloodbath, but there's plenty of gory moments. Like, he pulls a man's clavicle out of his chest and threatens to snap it off to give him to get him to give him information you know you get carved into his cheek and stuff like that so it's pretty gruesome so did you find it like boring was the pacing off you know yeah. what was it yeah yeah it, it's it could have been an amazing action but there comes to a point i used oh we're in the grand finale now and it's over you know what should have been a great denouement to it it just doesn't feel doesn't just doesn't have weight to it. I mean, it's it's a real shame because I've got a lot of time for Sylvester Stallone. Any redeeming qualities at all? I mean, Stallone is Rambo was always monosyllabic. That's most of Stallone's lines throughout, and he gives a kind of monologue towards the end. You know, Stallone is the saving grace of this, and you know, seventy-three years of age. Well, is in better shape than the film, and he moves faster than the plot. So, you know, you're waiting for things to happen. It's it's very... I would want Rambo to have a proper ending. He's not had a proper ending, and I feel that this is doesn't really serve the character well. Okay, so speaking of great acting... Well, yeah. <laughs> Where are we going with this? Well, I mean, like you said, right, Sylvester Stallone, fantastic frontman for, for Rambo, probably the only redeeming factor. I can think of another really great leading male actor this week. Brad Pitt in Ed Astra? Ed Astra? No, it's Ad Astra. Ed Astra is his brother. (laughs) Yes, Brad Pitt is in Ad Astra. Ad Astra is basically a sci-fi film. It is uh, not your usual sci-fi film. In fact, if anything, I've likened it to Apocalypse Now in space. It's uh, On the surface, it's like big sci-fi action 
on the surface in that Earth is under attack from some forces at the edge of the solar system sending energy beams towards, well, energy towards Earth that is causing these electrical storms and chaos all over the place. Now, this is set in a world that you think that if the space race hadn't ended in the mid-80s, obviously it ended because of tragedies, but if it had continued, the world of Ad Astra could well have been just a few years away. So it's kind of a very grounded version of space. It's still very Apollo, but it's all kind of realistic, even to the extent that people are kind of bored with it. You know, it becomes very functional. You can have commercial flights to the moon now. Everything is treated. I mean, if you're one of those people who kind of like rue that people don't dress properly to go on planes, then you'll know what this is about because, yeah, this is kind of like everything's ordinary about space now. Uh, and Brad Pitt plays this uh, astronaut who is basically doing very functional duties when we join him. He's not playing Roy McBride, super astronaut, although he has a pedigree. He's just like close to maintenance man, it seems, on this. But huge attack on Earth. He's called in by the military. Now, your father did a, a great space mission. His father's played by Tommy Lee Jones. He's a legendary space mission to go to the edge of the solar system. We think you're the best person to go find out what is happening with this. We think there might be some relation to where these energy bursts are coming from and the mission that your dad was on. I think it's Top really secret. interesting, actually. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great premise. And it's interesting that it's, uh, like I say, it looks big sci-fi on the outside, but it's a very personal film on the inside. Which is exactly what I was going to say. I feel like it, the plot sounds like it's going to be this huge action movie, but it almost read a bit, reads a bit more like 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah, it's... Know, it's like Blade say, Runner I mean, remake slower, a little bit more <laughs> languid, more yeah. art house. I mean, it's Apocalypse Now. If you know Apocalypse Now, you know it's quite a... You know, a personal journey of one man and likewise here this is about his journey and what he learns from it now there are messages in this um i think one of the things i'm more amazed by i mean considering well let's just get down what is it about u.s films and daddy issues because this is daddy issues all over the place this is the buzz light year to daddy issues and beyond it seems like every space film has got an astronaut with daddy issues no, it doesn't. It, it doesn't at all. That's the thing. It's just that you can also liken it to uh, parts of First Man with uh, the you know the Ryan Gosling film that unfortunately it seems a bit forgotten about, but is absolutely marvellous. You should check it out in the personal stakes of it because the camera is always focused on Brad Pitt. I don't think there's any moment that, that is not Brad Pitt on the screen. And even from just the trailers and what I've seen online about it, it's Brad Pitt on the screen, but some really cool camera angles. Oh, yeah. Really yeah. beautifully shot. And I think if if I go see it for any reason other than the fact that I already really love space films, it's just the fact that it's it looks beautiful. Like, so many of the shots that I've seen online just look like works of art. It is absolutely beautifully realised. This is similar to how Interstellar was. It's, it's like a, at a junction of Interstellar, Apocalypse Now, 2001 Space Odyssey, First Man. Yeah, it's, it's kind of at the intersection of that. Is personal issues, but it's the shots, the inventiveness. There are shots, very Kubrick-style shots, like they have these things called comfort rooms where you go in and they project things on the wall. Uh, some of it looks like obscure 60s references. Uh, and the, the world of this very kind of everyday space travel, like on the moon, 
uh, there's this huge moon base that actually looks just more like an airport now. In fact, there's one shot when they leave the moon base to trek across the moon on these little space buggies. You can just see, uh, you know, that neon cowboy from Las Vegas. You can just see one of those and all these other signs that are on it. So, you know, like Blade Runner had, oh, look, there's Pan Am. So advertising on the moon. It's like Futurama. If you ever saw Futurama on the moon, it's like that has been made into a film, but a lot more serious. A lot more dystopian, depressing. Yeah, because, I mean, the other thing with the moon is that, you know, as with any kind of territory, there are factions warring over control of these areas. And there's even like moon pirates, which sounds like space opera. But there's a quite a, a thrilling chase across the surface of the moon in these little moon bookers with the sound uh, design as well is great because you can just get a certain amount of sound from it because obviously it's out in space. But you know, that's the sound of a gun. Is that? It's, it's amazingly realised. And there's various things. I mean, there's a few shocking moments along the way. There's a bit of gore in it as well. So if you're a bit squeamish, look out for that bit. It falls down a bit towards the end. I don't think they quite uh, nail the ending so much, but it, by that time, you're not really that bothered. You get what the journey is, and you'll probably come away with a thousand different meanings for it. And I get the sense it's the kind of film where it doesn't really matter what happens. It's the fact that nothing happens that is kind of the point of the film. Wow. Philosophy in a podcast. Uh, possibly, yes. It's got like waiting for Godot vibes, apparently. Like looking for this obscure god, meeting your maker... Well, I mean, part of the phrase that Ad Astra comes from is also per aspera de Ad Astra, which is through hardships to the stars. So Ad Astra means to the stars. There we go. There's your Latin lesson for today. Um, But yeah, so there's hardship. I mean, this is also the journey of Brad Pitt's character, Roy McBride. At the start, I mean, one of the most wonderful scenes, I think, I love when directors use an economy of shots to tell a thing. And there's like, 30 seconds in which he explains the divorce between Brad Pitt and his wife Liv Tyler. Now Liv Tyler is in this sort of there's no getting away from it. This is a film about Brad Pitt. Now James Gray who directed it uh, and co-wrote it, his last film was The Lost City of Z or Lost City of Z depending on what side of the Atlantic you're on. I was not a big fan of that. I don't think Charlie Hunnam was the actor to lead that because you need a lot of his films, you're following one character. Uh, and if you're going to stare at a movie star for two hours, non-stop, very close up, you can see his eye bags and everything. Uh, Brad Pitt is the man to follow. There's a kind of parallel between his character and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because both are kind of like stoic, uh, men a few words, and then suddenly action. So yeah, I, I would recommend going and seeing Ad Astra, though I would say watch out in a, a regular theatre because I think phones will come out at some point because people around me did seem a bit bored at times and wondering where it was going. People have quite low tolerance for this kind of stuff. And luckily in the screening I was in, they confiscated the phones. But I, yeah, go see Ad Astra. It's a great film. That sounds like one I really like. I think I'm really looking forward to this one. But, you know, opposite end of the spectrum, the one film I'm really not looking forward to, despite having seen a beautiful trailer of it, Midsummer. oh my God, horror. Please. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no. Look, Midsummer has been out for quite some time in other territories. It's only just coming out here. Uh, and likewise, I felt the same way about you. I don't know why I volunteered to go see it. I, I genuinely had my heart racing with going into it because I have this very bad habit of thinking what I'm going to see is a lot worse than what turns up on the screen. 
which says kind of bad things about my brain, possibly, that I'm thinking a lot worse than what does turn up. Uh, and eventually, it's the same with things like hostel and stuff like that. When you actually see it, you think, oh, okay, fair enough. Um, I mean, not that, that I was that dismissive about the film. It's just that the horror was not as bad as I thought it would be. But if you're going to go see this, you have to go see it for Florence Pugh. She is amazing. She is brilliant. Go see it for Florence Pugh. Now... She was in Fighting With My Family earlier this year, which is a WWE film about how she... True story about a girl going off to join the WWE from England. Here, this is such a great performance. For the first 10 minutes alone of her on the phone to her deadbeat boyfriend, second time of using deadbeat in the show after deadbeat dad in Rambo. But yeah, this guy is no good. He... He's kind of like half committed to the relationship. He's looking to get out of it anyway, but he doesn't have the guts to actually end it with her. He's then stuck in this position because uh, she suffers a family tragedy at the very start, so that's not really a spoiler. Then she calls him on the phone, and that scene alone is, uh, I say, 10 minutes. I don't know how long it is. It's amazing, though, because it's, the camera just holds on her face as she calls her boyfriend and tries to get him to be sympathetic in some way and he is so non-committal non-caring really just more concerned about well I was going to go out tonight do you mind if I don't see it just after she's lost her parents and stuff like that it's that kind of thing maybe not exactly yeah. but it's uh, but you're just looking at Florence Pugh's face for the entire time and looking at her eyes and at different points you can see the eyes the tears welling in her eyes. I don't know how she managed to do that. It's amazing acting. The gamut of emotions that she goes through on here, through semi-anger, despair, oh, it's just amazing. That moment alone is worth seeing Midsummer for. I wish you could see his face, the disgust on, on John Robb's face every time he talks about the boyfriend and this absolute love oh, that radiates from him. Oh, man, I wish you could see it. Oh, for Florence Pugh? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan. I mean, she was good in uh, Fighting With My Family. She's amazing in this. We're going to see more of her uh, in the very near future because she's in Black Widow as the other Black Widow uh, against Scarlett Johansson. She's also in Little Women. I think she's got an amazing career ahead of her. I think she is exemplary in here. Uh, she's even better than the film itself. Because, okay, so let's get into it. Basically, the premise of this film is that four friends from the US go follow their friend to his home commune, which is the commune he originally lived on back in Sweden. Now, one of them, uh, possibly the biggest name in the cast is William Jackson Harper. He plays Chidi in The Good Place. Do you watch Good Place? No. Go watch The Good Place. It is one of the best comedies ever. But anyway, he plays an anthropology student. Florence Pugh's boyfriend, who's played by Jack Rayner, who's called Christian in this. She's Danny. He's Christian. He's also on the same course, but he's kind of very lackluster. They are going to ostensibly study uh, rituals, summer rituals in Europe. Uh, they're also joined by Will Poulter, who's also British. Florence Pugh, Will Poulter, both British, both nail American accents perfectly. You would not know. Uh, he's more abrasive. There's a lot of commentary about ugly tourists blustering their way into other cultures and not really caring and so there's one scene in where Will Poulter is urinating against the tree 
it's a secretary and but his and rather than say apologizing immediately and saying I'm sorry I'm sorry he's just like does it matter it's only a tree well you know that something's going to happen to him anyway <laughs> they go to this place it quickly cuts from dour tones to beautiful sunshine the colors in this are so beautiful and especially when the flowers turn up because it's the midnight sun as well so everything's glistened with sunshine it's very yeah, it's like the most perfect summer day, All watching all the way through. Unfortunately, there are also some horrible rituals that go on, and then you start screaming. Yeah, see, that's the thing that makes me so sad about the fact that it's a horror film, because from what I've seen in the trailer, it looks beautiful, like the costuming is I've so I've never great. seen a film the look set, like this. Yeah, it's so beautiful, like it really looks so like... So it's a shame that there's some really nasty moments in it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, you kind of expect it to be... A very elegant take on horror because it was brought to you by the same people who did Hereditary, Hereditary. right? Yeah. Which has so, a kind of similar so, horror, but yeah, with a soft well, touch. Yeah, I mean, Hereditary blew a lot of people away and freaked a lot of people out just by the small nature of the horror, the the insidiousness. With this, I have to say, is a bit too on the nose. I find that some of it is, some of the symbolism is a bit too obvious, a bit too signposted. It's. It could have been a bit more subtle. There's a lot of Wicker Man, the original '70s one, not the Nick Cage remake. Everything seems lovely. Everything is lush. It's all midnight sun. It's beautiful. And then they go for the first ritual of this uh, midsummer, and it's that. Well, they are shook. To quote kids, uh, no, it's it's a shocking moment. Some of the other guests, they're like, "What the hell's going on? We're getting out of here Toodles. now." Yeah, see you later, folks. And but all the communities like, but why? This is just how we do it. This this is good for us. This is, you know, it's there's a bit of ec- ecology about it. You know, there's a bit of yeah. This no, this is like nature. It's fine. Everything's fine. If these fine, they've all got the Swedish accent, obviously. So, uh, but yeah. So some are trying to get out, uh, and this is when some of the worst aspects of uh, Danny's boyfriend come out because him and William Jackson Harbour suddenly after being shocked by what they've seen then decide actually let's stick around and write a thesis on this so immediately that their own selfish thoughts come to the fore danny is trying to come to terms with what's going on here and yeah things kind of go worse ugh boys always even from the trailer i could tell that he was going to be the most annoying Oh, he's awful. He's awful, and he's kind of more than willing. He's, you know, his eyes are looking at some of the other girls in the commune, and he's, like, you know, clearly a wandering eye going on. I mean, it has to be said for Jack Rayner, who plays the character, that's quite a skill to be that loathsome. I mean, it's good acting as well, so credit to him. I mean, it's just that, you know, Florence Pugh acts everyone off the screen. But, yeah, as for Ari Aster, yeah, there are moments in this that you just think, dude, come on. So there's moments where they're arguing back at home and there's a painting behind them and you just think, really? Oh, do you think that will be relevant later? Do you think that's going to mirror something that's going to happen? Like, yeah. So sometimes it's a bit too... Uh, and you don't know if it's quite deliberate, but there's just a bit of eye-winking, a bit of kind of like, hey, did you see what I did there? Did you see what I did That Yes, we saw. Thank you. Um, <laughs> well, but, but overall, it does... Overall, no, it's, it's a... It's, can you call it enjoyable? Overall, it's fairly enjoyable. Well I, done, I guess. I, yeah, I mean, go for Florence Pugh. 
it's she's I might have to just get over this horror film thing and go see it because it, it sounds so <laughs> promising. I'm I'm terrified. I'm already terrified. Go with a friend. Bury your face into their arms. I just hide it to my in my hands. You've oh, seen yeah. me do that. Oh yeah, yeah. Times. For for us, yeah. You you have done the hand hiding thing. Yeah. But anyway, so out of these three films, which well, one do you think? On a personal level, Ad Astra, I'm probably going to go see that again anyway. I oh, I think I might wait for Midsummer to I I don't know I I mean I've seen it once and still I think do I deserve you? It's it, no it's it's a nice film. <laughs> so, no, it's so, a nice I'm film. I'm gonna say that. No, so, <laughs> no, you can't no, no, that scene with all the horror and the you know the uh, no that's very nice. No, it's I enjoyed it. I enjoyed but, it. And there's a point on a personal level where I realized, okay, that's the level that it's going to be, and it's not going to get any worse than that. And at that point, I could relax a bit. Mm. <laughs> so I might just go in and watch it again on a on a lesser, without the heart palpitations going on, I, I mean, might just watch it again. It's a bit of an arty take on horror, so I'm sure yeah. you'll yeah. live. I guess that's where we'll leave it for this week. Well, thank you for joining us. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, leave us a rating, like us, comment. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, tell us what you think of Rambo. Be one of those angry people who wrote in to me telling how wrong I was before they've even seen the film. Death threats. Oh, no, I had a, I had a death threat for Johnny English Strikes Again. Oh, you're, you're Johnny English. Okay, <sighs> <laughs> okay sorry. And that's where we'll be leaving it (laughs) again. And until another double feature, goodbye. Goodbye. That was an SPH podcast. Find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts and streaming on Google Home. Do send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at straightstimes.com and bt.sg.